More evidence has come out against Joe Biden. Now, that's great and all, but I don't really care anymore. Let's talk about why. Should we keep the law off our sports fields? For the longest time, the answer has been yes. But the question is, what happens when people are being murdered? Good question. Let's talk about that. And it's the Day of the Dead. It's All Saints Day. It's All Souls Day. It is the day when earth is closest to heaven and the dead are closest to earth. Let's talk about death. This is Gene and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. I hope you folks had a great Halloween. Ours was okay. We had no trick-or-treaters. We ended up going to Josie's sister's house to walk with the grandkids. That was kind of fun. Uh, very short. The kids are very young. So it was okay. It was, it was pretty good. We had, And then we came home, watched The Conjuring or watched Insidious. I can't remember what horror movie we were watching. I was building a dresser, so I was kind of busy at the time. All right, you know, last week... A statue of Robert E. Lee. Well, let's let's go further back. Several months ago, because of the death of a drug addict named George Floyd, there was this fight to get the statue of Robert E. Lee in, I believe it was South Carolina, taken down. Now, let's understand something about Robert E. Lee. A little bit of his history. He was one of the greatest generals in the American army. He was educated at the at the Army Military Academy, West Point. He became a great general. He fought in the Mexican-American War. And of course, the United States expanded by 25% with the defeat of the Mexicans during the Mexican-American War. The Spanish, I guess you could call it. By the way, uh, F no, it was Mexico at the time. A uh, little FYI about the Mexican-American War before you have, I have all of La Raza screaming that America belongs to Mexico. We actually did pay off Mexico for the land that we took. I mean, we defeated them. It was our land. They were never going to get it back, but we did pay them. So let's not get wild and crazy. But Robert E. Lee was then faced with a, a question. The question was, is he going to fight for the United States or, or is he going to fight for the Confederates? Now, Robert E. Lee was from Carol South Carolina or Virginia, either Virginia or South Carolina, one of the one of the two states. I can't remember which. And his entire family lived in the South. And his son was going to fight for the Confederate Army. Robert E. Lee did not own any slaves. All right, so that's, that's one thing we can skip. But Robert E. Lee said, forget it. I'm going to fight for the South simply because I, I, can't, fight for the, I can't fight for the North. I can't fight for the Yankees in this case because I'll be fighting literally against my own family. And so he decided to fight for the South. And he did a fantastic job in the South. The South had no chance but to lose that, that war. There was no way they were going to win that war. They were completely outmatched. And he lost the war. The president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, you know, that guy no one likes because, again, Abraham Lincoln, I guess, is a racist too. It's Abraham Lincoln pardoned 
Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee would never be able to be a citizen of the United States again. That was something. But he would be able to live his life. He never served in the military again. And he basically lived off the rest of his life. And people celebrated his accomplishments because he had a lot of accomplishments. Well, they built, a, they built a statue of him in South Carolina, I believe. And of course, the BLM people were whining and crying that you had a Confederate general. I mean, forget all the work he did for the United States, because he did a lot of work for the United States. Forget about all that, those accomplishments. He fought for the Confederate army. He must be damned. So they decided to take down this statue. Now, this statue, beautiful statue, over 100 years old. It's a bronze statue. Well, was a bronze statue uh, of him sitting on a horse, holding up a sword. Beautiful statue. So what they decided to do is they take the statue down. They put it in a museum someplace. Under the dark of night, undercover, they melted down the statue. The statue, over 100 years old. They melted it down. And BLM, the malicious pieces of shit that they are, forget the fact that it, you're just destroying history, but it was actually a beautiful piece of art. They melted the damn thing down and they filmed it and they posted it on social media. And they're cheering. They're, I mean, social media, Twitter was going wild on the melting down of this piece of art. And everyone was good with They were cheering it. Let me turn on the light here. I forgot to turn on the light. They were cheering it. Now, the question comes, of course, why? What, what exactly did you get? Is suddenly the Civil War not going to be a thing because these guys melted the statue? Is slavery suddenly not going to be a thing because they melted this statue? Is all racism cured? because they melted down this statue? Of course, the answer is absolutely no. But they have to destroy American history. That's what it comes down to. Now, a lot of people had opinions on this, and they were all the same. Um, this was a terrible thing, and it was. They, they melted this down, and they're going to make a modern art piece that's going to celebrate equity and diversity, which means it's going to be some sort of piece of shit eyesore that no one is going to want to look at. And everyone's going to sit there and say, you destroyed a beautiful, realistic statue of Robert E. Lee for that piece of crap. That's what's going to end up happening because we don't do art anymore. Josie and I were talking about that last night. We were talking about music. And one of the things we were talking about was Taylor Swift. And I said, Taylor Swift, just her music is garbage. It sounds like every other pop song out there. And I can't name one song. And she said, well, you know, she's got a lot of music. I name, name one song. And she couldn't. And I said, in 10 years, no one's going to know who this broad is. It, it, it's not like Madonna in the 70s. You had Led Zeppelin. Rolling Stones. You had Elvis in the 50s. You had Mozart in the 18th century or 19th century, whenever he was around. And everyone remembers those. They can name songs. They can sing them. Uh, Whitney or Taylor Swift is not going to have a song anyone's going to remember in 10 years. Cardi B will be gone in five years. 
Harry Styles will be gone in, well, he's gone already. It's been two years. Now, these guys are all sitting back and acting like they're non-binary or some shit so they can have attention. But that's what's going to happen. They're going to take this beautiful statue and they're going to make it into a piece of shit that no one's going to like. And everyone's going to wonder, why did you do that? But why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep... Aren't these people are the ones that want to celebrate slavery in every for every minute in history class? No, they want to celebrate their version of American history, their version of slavery. They don't even want the Civil War acknowledged, and that's why they tore down that statue. They tore down that statue to eliminate the Civil War because the Civil War, most of the people that died died were white and the reason they died is because of to end slavery that's why these people celebrate juneteenth okay they don't celebrate um the writing of the emancipation proclamation they don't celebrate the enactment of the emancipation proclamation they don't celebrate abraham lincoln's birthday who enacted the who wrote and enacted the emancipation proclamation or or signed it into law they don't celebrate uh, they don't celebrate anything on the civil war they celebrate some obscure day juneteenth which had nothing to do much with the emancipation proclamation except the last state that found out slavery was illegal it's because they want to eliminate every white person from the ending of slavery. The reason, they can't make the United States look good. They can't make the United States, they can't make any white people, no white person in the world can look like that slavery was bad. Because every white person is a racist. This is CRT crap. Absolute CRT crap. Every white person is a racist, but if we have the little thing like 700,000 white people died to end slavery, um, we can't celebrate that. The Emancipation Proclamation was written by a white person. No, we can't talk about that. Because the reality is if we talk about that, then that means white people, maybe there are white people that aren't racist out there. It's that's where it's sad, and this is what's infuriating. And this is what's and by the way, what is this going to do? Well, it's already created racism within the black community. The black community believes they have moral superiority over white people because all white people are racist. Just because black people believe they have moral superiority because of the color of their skin, that's racist. That's racism. That's the pure definition of racism. They think we are lesser people because we are automatically racist because of this. And that's racism. And this being white. So, you know, they can tear it down. Here's the deal. Uh, I, the only, it, it looks like, and the institutions are all for it. That's a real problem. The institutions are all in on this. They want to eliminate the white race. And by the way, and by the way, that's another thing that irritates me. I'm not white. I'm an American. What is white? What is black? I mean, they put white people in this big bowl. You know, 
I'm I'm 70% Irish and then everything else, 26% German and then everything else in there, including, by the way, some indigenous person. Race is not something that you're white or black. That's not true. Do you know why we don't call them uh, uh, African-Americans anymore? A lot of blacks got insulted by being called African-Americans because if they were from Barbados or if they were from Jamaica, that doesn't make them African. And that's the kicker. It's absolutely true. Race is barely anything. Race is a mix of, I've got Mexican, I've got Native American Indian in me. Not a lot, but it's there. I've got Israeli in me. I've got everything in me. This is not something that we should be celebrating. It's, I'm an American. Most of the black people that want to eliminate American history, they're American. What's wrong with being American? Why can't we be our own race? Because I got news to you, the color of your skin doesn't mean shit. I'm married to Josie. Josie's Mexican. Actually, she's she is Mexican. She's not American at all. She wasn't born in this country. She's not a citizen, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get her to, to become a citizen, and she's working on it. But the reality of the matter is that race doesn't make any difference, but race keeps being pounded into us. The destroying of the Robert E. Lee statue is racist. The reasons it was destroyed are racist. The blacks that are out there celebrate, it's not all of them. Believe it or not, it's not all of them. <laughs> a lot of people in Southern, uh, in, in, in South Carolina, I believe that's where the statue came from, but a lot of people in South Carolina said, kind of a beautiful statue. Probably shouldn't have tore it down. There was a, I can't remember who did it, but there was a, I think it was ABC. They actually interviewed black people who were walking to the park where the statue was located. And they said, well, why'd they take it down? It's kind of a nice statue. Why don't they worry more about crime? Or why don't they worry more about real racism? Because it's still out there. Why are they worried about a statue? Well, that's why they're worried about statue. Because you can't have white, good white people. That's just not a thing. You can't have it. Okay, so that's my thoughts on that statue. And I should have brought it up last week, but I just didn't feel like it. So let's get to our first story. Okay, so we have this, I, 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 last year, or no, this year, I read a book called Laptop from Hell. And basically what it was is it was someone from Blaze TV who got, who received information about the laptop and went in and wrote an entire 300-page book about what was in this laptop. All verified. It was an excellent book. It's very descriptive. It was an excellent book because it not only showed what Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Jim Biden, the family did, it also showed what the family didn't do. So one of the common one of the the great things about the book was there was talk about that laptop holding pictures of Hunter Biden with children. And the book said, no, there actually weren't any pictures of him having underage girls. There, there were some bizarre things out there, but no evidence he actually had sex with underage girls. So that was the great thing about the book. And the other nice thing about the book was you could see the real 
struggle Hunter Biden was going through. This was a guy who was extremely insecure, extremely narcissistic, extremely depressed. This is not who, who used drugs, sex, drugs and sex to kind of self-medicate. He was not a stable guy. He was just a really struggling individual. And that's what really made this book good because it wasn't just about all the corruption and there was a lot about corruption. It wasn't just about all the evil because if you looked at this book, suddenly it doesn't look quite as evil. It looked like this guy was out of his mind. He was depressed and he was struggling. And a lot of this stuff that he did was so that he could continue to self-medicate. And then, of course, at the end, a lot of people don't talk about this today. Hunter Biden's broke. He has nothing. He's living in the White House right now. Simply, I don't know if he's still living in the White House, but he was living in the White House because he couldn't afford an apartment. Now, of course, you dance with the devil, you're going to get burned. He had no money because he blew it all. So you're not going to feel too bad for him. But there's a lot of things about Hunter Biden you learned from that book, and they weren't all necessarily things that were going to piss you off. But what did piss you off after this book was the corruption. Huge amounts of corruption. Tons of evidence for corruption. Because Hunter Biden doesn't know how to have a personal life without putting it on the internet. He put everything on his laptop. He recorded everything. He recorded phone conversations. He, record, he, he put text messages. Everything was on his laptop. He... he um, videotaped everything. Everything was on this laptop. And the great thing about this book, uh, Laptop from Hell, I don't have the, I don't actually have the uh, author with me. But the great thing about this book is that it said, this is evidence, this is evidence, this is evidence, this is evidence. But no one listened to it. Now, mind you, this book was published back in like 2020. So I read this book this year and I've known about all this crap and no one seems to be doing anything of it because, quote, there is no evidence, end quote. Well, we all know that's bullshit. So according to the post-millennial, uh, again, Republicans have more evidence. Uh, on Monday, Representative James Comer uh, claimed that the House Oversight Committee had uncovered evidence suggesting President Joe Biden received $40,000 in, quote, laundered China money, end quote. He outlined how the cash allegedly made its way from the Chinese company to the current president in the 2017 via a series of companies and, Biden, uh, and the Biden family members. Quote, remember when Joe Biden told Amer the American people that his son didn't make any money in China, end quote, Comer said. Well, not only did he lie about his son, Hunter, making any money in China, but it also turns out that $40,000 in laundered Chinese money landed in Joe Biden's bank account in the form of a personal check, and the Oversight Committee has it, end quote. I really just don't give a damn. We know this already. Can I tell you something? I can open that book right now 
and read you the companies that this money was laundered by, laundered through. There is nothing here that's new. Okay, you have the bank doc. Didn't you say you had the bank documents last year? And that this was the reason Republicans should be in Congress? Isn't that something? Now you, we have a $200,000 check came out last year, last week. And now you have another $40,000 check. And of course, you've got tons of bank statements. Do something with it. I can, hey, give me a buzz. I will open my book and tell you where to go. All of this is in the laptop. All of this is published. All of this is new, is known. And it's been known since by the FBI. The FBI knew about it since about 2016, 2017, when the laptop was given to them. This has been known for ages. And now you're just, here's evidence. Here's that. Yeah, we know. Could you do something with it? I don't want to hear any more about your effing evidence anymore. I really don't want to hear about it. I want you to go out there and do something with that evidence. Okay, here's a here's a disturbing story. Now, for ages, there has been a lot of controversy about crime that might have been com uh, committed on the field of play at sports during sports events, football, basketball, even baseball, hockey. Okay, because these sports are contact in nature. They can be violent. People do get hurt. And the question has always, be, always been, what is the line between you broke the law versus, hey, that's just stuff that happens on the field. Get over it. We keep it within our, within our own little world. What is that line? Well... Let's talk about this. This is a big one. According to the Daily Wire, police said Monday that they are investigating the death of former Pittsburgh Penguins forward Adam Johnson, 29, who died during an elite ice hockey league game on Saturday. Reports and graphic video indicate Johnson collided with another player during a game in England and suffered a cut to the neck from a skate, NHL.com reported. Okay, I saw the video. It's a brutal video. I mean, there's no way. Um, this was not a collision. Okay. This guy was trying to hinder the movement of Johnson, lifted his skate face high, and Johnson, who was fully erect, got hit in the neck by the skate. Which, by the way, those skates are razor sharp. Cut his throat. He bled out and I think died on the ice. It was a brutal video. Continuing. South Yorkshire Police. I guess the Elite Hockey League is in England. York, South Yorkshire Police, who were called to the scene on Saturday, are investigating the incident. Quote, Our officers remain at the scene carrying out inquiries and our investigation into the circumstances surrounding the incident remain ongoing. We would encourage the public to avoid speculation regarding the incident while we continue inquiries. Johnson's team, the Nottingham Panthers, have called the fatal collision a, quote, freak accident, end quote. It's not an Okay. Here, here's the thing. I think there, are two, there really are two 
places here that this whole thing is going. One, this was just completely a freak accident. Law enforcement should have nothing to do with this. That's the one side that's being taken. And then the other side, this was murder. This guy should be arrested and and convicted of murder. All right, here's the thing. I kind of like to, to, to take sports and kind of leave it on the field. This one, it's too much to do that. And the reason is because this guy may not have meant to do it, meant to cut his throat. This guy doesn't have a history of that, but he did stick his skate, right? He was without a doubt negligent. I don't think there's any question he was like negligent here. So this has to be dealt with somehow. Legally, yeah, probably. Someone's throat was cut. Now let's just say, let me give an example. Let's, let's, let's take a look at it this way. Let's just say I'm in a car and I'm driving. And I'm on my phone. And I run into somebody. I run into a kid crossing. I run into a, a, an adult crossing the street, a 29-year adult, 29-year-old adult like Johnson, while crossing the street and I hit him. The question I have for you, or to make it more legitimately, this guy's crossing, I see this guy crossing, I don't want, I want to get across first in my car while this person is walking across the street and I try to spin or try to speed right past him before he can cross but I, he doesn't, I don't make it and I hit him and I kill him. Should I be held liable for that legally? Well, I think very few people would say, no, you shouldn't be. Yes, you should be held legally liable for that. You, you were negligent. That's at least a manslaughter. This is the same case. It doesn't matter that it's on the, the it's inside of an ice rink. The reason a lot of these players are worried is because a lot of violent stuff happens in the rink and they don't want to be convicted of something when they do it. But here's the reality. Someone died here. Someone had his throat slashed open by a guy who was being negligent. And the video shows it. There's not a lot of ifs, whats, or hows about that video. This isn't like George Floyd being pinned where you can sit there and say, well, that isn't really... No, this one, the guy stuck his foot up about five feet in the air to stop this guy from skating by and his blade cut his throat. It, there's not a lot of, of things you can say here. What, he his foot accidentally went five feet into the air? It didn't. He actually leaned and brought his foot up. Yes, he should be held liable. Yes, the, le the law should be investigating this. And yes, he should probably go to trial for this. And yes, he should be accused probably of negligent homicide, maybe lower manslaughter. But the reality is this, I, I don't see how you don't call this a legal case. I really don't see how this, this guy escapes going to jail. Is it first degree murder or second degree murder? Like a lot of people... People are calling, no. But that's the problem with a lot of people. They are actually going out and making ac wild accusations. First degree, second degree murder. This isn't murder. This is a manslaughter, negligent homicide, something like that. 
Should he go to jail? Probably not. He should probably be banned from hockey. Banned from ever playing hockey again. But And his background should be looked at. Maybe he should serve some time. I don't know. Someone died because of his negligence, though. We can't skip that. So yesterday was the Day of the Dead. Or today is the Day of the Dead, excuse me. Yesterday was Halloween. And this past weekend, I, I tried to look for some articles about how Halloween is evil and crap like that. But then again, I forget, you know, Halloween, you dress like the devil or you dress like a man dressed like a woman or whatever. So it, there really wasn't, weren't a lot of how evil Halloween is. We'll, we'll wait for that Thanksgiving to come around. That'll be the day they start tearing it apart. Um, so I didn't find a lot of articles about that were anti-Halloween. Uh, but I did find a piece this weekend from the Washington Post called, What is the Line Between Life and Death? Here is my answer. It's by a guy named Peter Singer. And Peter Singer is a bioethicist and a philosopher, which means he is, I guess the easiest thing to call him is a bullshit artist. He is the kind of guy that is socially worthless because all he does the only contribution to society he has is to think about things and then give his opinion. And usually those opinions are wrong because other philosophers who are bullshit artists like him sit there and say, no, you're wrong. And then they go back and forth and I don't know. It just it just ends up uh, make being a mess. So he released this article and, and he's basically talking about, okay, when... Can you actually say somebody is dead? So let's go through this article. I think it's a gas. Where exactly is the line between life and death? Does the answer change if a person asking is not a philosopher, but a transplant surgeon eager to save a life? Or a patient desperate for a new organ? I love the way he, how he conflates a philosopher with a transplant surgeon, right? Hey, I got news for you. Philosophy is one of the most worthless degrees out there. A ham sandwich can get a philosophy degree. I would hardly conflate philosopher with surgeon. Continuing with the article. This summer in Honolulu, a body of lawyers known as the Uniform Law Commission tried to agree on a, an answer to that profound question. Appointed by the states and the territories to recommend model legislation for adoption nationwide, commission members were tasked with revising the standard of brain death widely used in the United States for some four decades. They couldn't do it. Last month, the group chaired emailed those involved that it had, quote, decided to pause, end quote, the effort without explaining why. My hunch? Once discussions began on how to change the definition of death, the group realized it had, it had a question on its hands for which there is no consensus. Namely, when is it justifiable to end human life? Um, this is a huge problem, especially in medicine. They, people have been asking this question for a really long time. And a lot of people don't even want to debate it because it is extremely uncomfortable. And there are so many ways to get just ransacked. But it is something we do need to discuss. 
And the reason we need to discuss this is policies are out there. They're making these decisions for us. And these decisions may be unreasonable, unethical, immoral. Abortion, euthanasia, harvesting of body parts. These things, there are policies already about this, but we don't even have a definition of life or death. And this guy doesn't help. I got news for you. I'm going to... Little foreshadowing, this guy doesn't give a really good answer. And I'm going to destroy his answer too. But that's a problem. We are creating policies without actually knowing the answers to any of this stuff. Uh, Here's my answer. Here it comes. Here comes his worthless answer. When consciousness has gone, never to return. That's when you're dead. When consciousness is gone, never to return. Other bioethicists have different views. No surprise there. But on this side, this we should all agree. These differences need to be hammered out in public, not behind closed doors by a body that few people have ever heard. Okay, I've got a question. What does it mean when consciousness has gone never to return? What is never? How do you know when someone's consciousness will never return. It's gone. What is the measuring stick for that? By the way, here's another wild question. What is consciousness? If you're a baby in the womb, are you conscious? If you're a baby that's two days old, are you conscious? What is consciousness? That's the big question. And that's what these philosophers are trying to figure out. And that's the problem with these philosophers. So this philosopher has come come up with a definition and all it did was open up more questions. um, Basically on half the words that he used in his his answer. That's that's what philosophers do. They ask questions. uh, They ask questions. Other philosophers answer those questions. Those answers come up with more questions And then those philosophers that asked the question in the first place give answers, but those answers also open questions. And it's a process that goes on and on and on, and it never ends. And meanwhile, we have no freaking clue what the answer is. So, interesting. Let's continue. The last effort to define death in the United States was in 1980. And at that time, there was a remarkable consensus on a decision so consequential. Then... The commission proposed a new Uniform Determination Act, establishing that in addition to traditional determination of death by the heart ceasing to beat, a person is dead when their whole brain has irreversibly ceased to function. All 50 states and the D.C. adopted the act's central proposition, which is staggering, really, given today's battles over when life begins. Of course, that's exactly why that's not the definition anymore. No one makes that the definition. So basically abortion. You can't use that definition because then it would make abortion illegal. Since then, the widespread acceptance of brain death has led to many lives being saved because donated organs are more viable this way. In 2021 alone, organs were removed from 9,674 people after the brains had ceased to function, but their hearts are still beating. Under the heartbeat standard, surgeons could have been charged with murder in these cases. 
I think one of the problems he has here is that he doesn't say we could have killed 960, 9,674 9, people, but we don't really know. But that's one of the other ways. Reverse it. Take it from the other side. The heart was beating, which, by the way, as far as I'm concerned, is life. And you just killed these people. This is the this is the problem. See, the issue this guy has is he's only giving one side. He's basically saying death is when the brain ceases to function permanently. Of course, we don't know what permanently is, and he's not going to define that. But but that's that's when death occurs, and then we should be able to rip apart a human body. The problem is if he's wrong, we've actually killed these people. And and that's the whole thing. That's where the issue comes. By the way, absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. All this guy is pointing out is we don't know what it is. I mean, is a baby a human being in the womb? Well, there's an absolute truth to that. Is there an absolute point of death? Well, yeah, there's an absolute truth to that. We don't know what it is. Well, with the with the baby in the womb thing, we we already know. So uh, there's another problem with what he's saying. Uh, we really, especially with this definition, we really don't know how the brain works. I, a lot of people have been talking about, but we have very little idea how the brain works. We don't know how much, how drugs work to solve pain, for example. Uh, pain is a brain function. It's a warning that something is being done badly to a part of the body. Ultra runners, I used to be an ultra runner. Ultra runners know this. That's why when they feel pain, they ignore it because they know it's a part of the body. The pain doesn't really mean anything until it does. Sometimes pain also means you're, you're injured. And sometimes you got to stop running. But for the most part, you can sit back. I hate when my phone goes off. I really need to turn off the volume. But half the time... With pain, when you take drugs to ease the pain, a lot of the times the doctors don't know why the pain stops. Anesthesia, for example, when you are given anesthesia so that you can, this is, this is why anesthesiologists are paid so much. When you're given anesthesia to be given surgery, do you realize they have no idea how that works? They don't know why you're asleep. They don't know why your body can go through such trauma of surgery without you waking up. They have no idea. And that's, that's kind of a problem. My dad, who's a doctor, told me that. He goes, oh, well, you should avoid going into surgery any reason you can. He goes, not because of the surgery, because of the anesthesia. You have no, they have no idea why you go to sleep when you, we give you that stuff. They have no idea why you don't wake up. They have no idea what wakes you up. They they don't know. And he's a doctor. He's he actually uses anesthesiologists. Okay, continuing. Yet the brain death standard presented by confound presents confounding consequences. Patients declared brain dead need a ventilator to breathe, but their bodies remain warm and supple. They can fight off infections, and their heart rate and adrenaline increase in response to injury. 
at least a dozen have gestated a child to birth by cesarean section. Here's another pretty major issue here that no one, he's not talking about. It's the fact that all brain functions control, all, all the brain controls basically all functions of the body. Pain, heart rate, blood pressure, pregnancy, the brain releases hormones for a pregnancy to continue on. He doesn't seem to understand that the brain controls everything. Now, maybe a part of the brain is dead or damaged. And so suddenly you can't breathe. That is an issue that does happen. Okay. And you need to be on a respirator. But here's the other thing he doesn't talk about at all. The brain is extremely resilient. The brain can recover from brain injury. It does all the time. The brain can actually regrow itself. And that's the problem with this entire argument is that if the body is still functioning in some way, I mean, to the point where a woman is giving birth, then you almost have to wonder, you almost have to question whether or not that person is actually alive or that brain is really dead. And this is a, this is a huge problem with the whole brain death argument is that the brain can fix itself. Okay. Continuing, we're almost done here. Usually doctors can convince skeptical families that their loved one is no longer alive. They failed in the widely publicized case of Jahai McCath. McCath, a teenager, went into Children's Hospital Oakland in 2013 to have an abnormal tonsil taken out. She suffered catastrophic post-operative bleeding and was declared brain dead two days later. But her family refused to accept that she was brain dead, and took the hospital to court. The court ordered the in, an independent medical exam, which confirmed the diagnosis of brain death. The family indicated they would appeal. In a compromise, the hospital allowed them to transport their daughter on a ventilator to a hospital willing to accept her as a patient. Basically, the big hospital's big problem here is money. He doesn't mention that. The hospital did not want to spend the money to keep her alive. They couldn't afford it. This was all on insurance. The insurance wouldn't pay for it. That's what this whole thing came about. It was money. I remember this case. She, again, well, they'll bring it up. She eventually died. But but the fact of the matter is the family wasn't ready to let her go, wasn't ready to take her off the ventilator because she was still showing some signs of life. And by the way, if I remember correctly, she was showing some signs of life. So she wasn't completely gone. For the next four and a half years, Jahai's body bodily functions were maintained. She even got her first period. Only when Jahai's heart stopped in 2018 did her family accept that she was dead. This is the problem I have with this. This isn't the only case of someone who was in a coma that came out of a coma. He's not bringing any of those cases up. He's bringing the one case where it had the end was fatal. There are a lot of cases where someone it would be sitting out and we're talking three, four, six months, two years and come out of a coma and survive. He's not bringing any of that, those cases up. He's bringing this case up. What about those cases where the patient was brain dead and then suddenly came out of it? At worst... At best, it shows that 
Well, we really don't know that much about the brain, and we don't know much about, quote, brain death, end quote. Could be a miracle, could be... Yes, it's not common. I wouldn't say it's rare that someone comes out of a coma. It does happen. As a matter of fact, doctors do it all the time, put people in comas all the time. But until there's a standard of brain death, they don't have a standard of brain death. They don't understand the brain enough. It seems to me you should keep people alive. Now, I'm not going to get to the last... Um, Oh, I will. Let's let's finish the article. This is the last. This is similar. This and similar edge cases have raised awareness that the standard tests do not prove the brain function has ceased irreversibly. One reason is that tests cannot distinguish between zero blood flow to the brain and a rare condition in which blood flows at a level too low to detect, but sufficient for the brain to regain function. That's actually the last paragraph sentence. It's kind of a weird ending to the to the story. Kind of a weird ending. But here's the question. Um, how do you know no blood's going through the brain at all? Like I said, it could be low pressure and there's really no test for that. Or if the brain is functioning, who's to say the brain is not getting blood? It sounds like it would be. I'd have to look into that a little bit more. But here's the problem. Our tests, we just don't have good enough tests for this. And you can't just assume someone's dying. Now, a lot of people will sit back and say, well, and I, I'm one of these people that would have said that. Well, wait a minute. Isn't putting someone on intubation not letting the body die naturally? So, for example, a lot of people would say, well, remove from intubation. If the body dies, the body dies. That's just nature. There's kind of a problem with that argument. The ar argument is we have the technology to keep the body alive. And nature let us find that technology. Just like if you want to throw religion in it, God gave us the ability to find that technology to keep the body alive. So then by removing that technology because it's inconvenient or you think you know something you may not know, wouldn't that be murder? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I know one thing, a lot of the intubation, for example, breathing is one thing. There's a lot of people, they want to remove intubation for feeding and let the body actually starve to death. There I have a major concern because now there can't be anything more painful than starvation. And if that brain even has a semblance to recognize that it's starving, that would be murder. That would be cruel. We won't let prisoners who've committed multiple homicides suffer like that. You're going to let someone innocent who happens to have a to be sick suffer like that? I don't know. Those are questions. Those are again. Those are other ethical questions. Right now, that's not. Those questions aren't posed here because that's not what this article about is about. What this article is about is what is death. Is death the stoppage of the heart? Personally, I think that's what it is. When the heart stops, the respiratory system stops, the brain is going to go with it. And I think that's the area. But if the brain stops or the brain doesn't function correctly, everything else can keep going. And if everyone else, everything else can keep going, there's a very good chance that brain can keep going. 
and that brain can rebuild itself or a miracle could happen or something of that nature. And therefore, that's termination of life. You are terminating the life. And don't tell me technology is keeping that person alive because the technology is something that is nature given. That's something that is God given. We have that technology, that nature. And if you remove that technology from that individual, it's I, as far as I'm concerned, that's murder. So big, big questions here. And this philosopher, this bioethicist from Harvard or Yale or where's he from? Princeton. Yeah, he doesn't have any answers. And this article, again, like every philosopher, raises more questions than answers. Okay, I hope you guys have a great day. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I hope you had a happy Halloween. God bless. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. <laughs>